of social networking. I came across a statistic this week that was astonishing to me. It's on silicon.com. Listen to what they say. There are now more social networking accounts than there are people in the world. There are now over 10 billion active social networking accounts on the internet. Now, just in case you have lived under a rock for the last five years, let me define for you what a social networking service is. Or I don't put it up on the screen. A social networking service is an online service platform or site that focuses on building and reflecting of social networks or social relations among people who share interests and or activities. Over 10 billion social networking accounts on the internet. We live in a social networking world. The, 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 the video that you just watched is about the largest of the social networking sites in the world, Facebook. One, what the statistic in that video that just astonishes me is that one out of every 13 people in the world that means you meet 13 people, one of them's on Facebook. That, that's a good business model, right? I mean, you can make some money doing that. One out of 13 people on earth are active users. And listen to this, 250 million people visit Facebook every single day. 250 million people per day. L listen to this. Last year in 2010, Facebook users, now let me just go ahead and ask the question, how many of you are on Facebook? Yeah, that's what I thought, right? Let me tell you what you did last year. Last year, Facebook users spent 49.4 billion minutes on Facebook. <laughs> Amen. Wasn't expecting one there, but that's good to get it started. Amen. 
49.4 billion minutes registered on Facebook. Now, let me break that down for you. That's over 823 million hours. That's over 34 million days. That's over, listen, last year alone, in one year, we spent 93,000 years on Facebook. Now think about that for a minute. In one year, collectively, globally, we spent 93,000 years on Facebook. Now, we might think, you know, this is just a younger generation thing, but take a quick look at this chart up on the screen. This is not just a younger generation thing. If you can make any sense out of that chart, that's the growth span in every age demographic over the last few years on social networking sites. Now, 26% of every person 65 and older is on a social networking site. This is a, an epidemic that is throughout all of the generations, and it is a global epidemic. Now, Facebook has this on their website. Look at this on the screen. This, this is what Facebook is all about. Here's what they say. Most of Facebook's features depend on the idea that there are people in your life that you like to stay in touch and connect with. Here's what that says on their own site. If people didn't desire relationships, let me tell you what Facebook would do. It would go away tomorrow. Facebook screams that people all over the world are looking to connect with each other. At, a, at an unparalleled rate, this, this, this idea of trying to connect is, is exploding all over the world. And the explosive concept of the social network was born with the idea that people are longing to connect in relationships with other people. And yet the sad reality is that although globally today we have more opportunities to connect than ever in the history of the world, we have more dysfunctional, broken, and unhealthy relationships than we've ever seen on the planet. This weekend, we begin a new series here at Hope. If you're a guest this weekend, what we're preaching this weekend is just week one of a six-week series that we're going to be in together simply entitled The Social Network. And here's the question we're going to wrestle with. What is God's perspective on my relationship? Does the Bible speak to this issue of relationship? Well, absolutely the Bible does. I want you to take your Bible, if you have it uh, today, and I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 4, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 7. In 1 John chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse number 7. If you don't have a Bible with you this evening, the, the verses are going to be on the screen so that you can follow along. Listen to what John says. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. 
The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. (laughs) Not, Not that we loved God but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. John is writing here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, and he's giving us some unbelievably remarkable truth that lays a foundation for every relationship in our life. But in doing so, John uses an operative word that that describes all of our relationships. And it's a very important word. It's a little four-letter word, the word love. I want you to say it with me. You ready? Love. It's a word that we use all the time, right? I mean, it's not a new word. It's a word that that you've probably used already today. John, in five little verses, uses the word love 11 different times. So it's important, if we're going to understand what John's talking about, we need to know what he means when he uses the word love. And here's what I mean by that. In our English language, we use the word love in a broad spectrum of applications, right? For example, I might say to you tonight, I love Texas Day Brazil. Amen? That's a good place for an amen. Now, I love Texas Day Brazil. It's one of my favorite places in Las Vegas to eat. We don't go there really often because you have to take out a small loan to be able to go eat at Texas Day Brazil. But I love to go to Texas Day Brazil. As a matter of fact, had some friends that took us there Friday night. That's why you can tell, right? I, I ate at Texas Day Brazil Friday evening. I love Texas Day Brazil. But I can also say to you tonight, right, I love Jordan. Jordan's sitting right here on the front row. Jordan was playing guitar just a minute ago. Jordan's been a friend of our family for the last several years. I could say to you tonight, I love Jordan. He's my friend. I love him. But I could also say to you tonight, I love my wife, right? I love my wife. My wife was up here singing just a moment ago, I love my wife. Now, when I say I love Texas Day Brazil and I love Jordan, and I love my wife, I don't mean the same thing. Amen? That's another good place for one. I don't mean the same thing when I use the word love in all of those contexts, right? I mean something different when I say, I love Texas Day Brazil, and I love my wife, and I love Jordan. And in the English language, we use the word love, and context has to tell us what we mean by the word love. In the Greek language, it's not that way. They were smarter than we were. And they used a different word. Now, we translate it into English every time with the word love. But in the Greek language, there are several different words. The three most often used are, first of all, the word phileo. Now, if you read the word phileo in Greek literature or in the Bible, you'll see it translated into English as the word love. But the word phileo describes a specific kind of love. It's feelings of warm affection. It's friendship, right? 
It's a friendship kind of. That's why we've named the city Philadelphia. That's where it comes from. Phileo, the city of brotherly love. It's a, a warm feeling of affection. A second word that the Greeks use is the word eros. We get our English word erotic from the word eros. The word eros described a very romantic uh, kind of love, a very intimate, sensual kind of love. But there's a third word that is commonly used in the Greek language, and it is the word agape. Now, the word agape is the word John uses 11 times in these five verses. Eleven different times John uses the word agape. Not phileo, not eros. He uses the word agape. The word agape means a love that is finding one's joy in something or someone as an act of the will. I want to just quickly put three statements up on the screen that are going to kind of describe love. I didn't want to just define it. It's too hard a word to define, but listen, look at these three statements. This kind of tells you what agape is. Agape is love that's a choice, not a feeling. It's not just a warm fuzzy. It's, it, it's a choice. It is a willful decision. Agape is not the kind of love that you fall into and out of, right? It's not a feeling. It's a choice. Number two, agape is self-sacrificing, not self-serving. Meaning that the focus of this love is the well-being of the one being loved. It's not a self-centered or a self-serving kind of love that asks the question, what am I going to get out of it? It is a self-sacrificing love. Number three, love, agape, is undeserved, not earned. I don't agape because the person is lovable. I agape, I love because I've made a choice. It's not earned, it's not deserved, it's undeserved. Now, Understanding that that basic foundation of the word love that John is using, I want to give you three realities tonight, and here's the first one. God made us to love. God made us to love. Not just phileo or eros. God made us to agape. If you could tonight ask God one question, we think it'd be, for most of us it'd be the question, why am I here? What what is the meaning of life? Did you know there's somebody in the Bible that actually asked that question? Maybe not in just those words, but they asked that, that question in essence. I want to show it to you. In Mark chapter 12, verse 28, look at this on the screen. Mark 12, verse 28, the Bible says, And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, and seeing that he answered them well, asked him, which which commandment is the most important of all? God, why am I here? What what is the meaning of life? Of all the commandments, what's the most important thing? What's what's the biggest issue in my life? And listen listen to what he said. Jesus answered, the most important is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is the Lord is one, and you shall... Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind 
and with all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. God made us to love. You see, the the point is this. God didn't create us. You were not made simply to be a success. God did not create us to be famous. God did not make us simply to obtain wealth and possessions. God did not make us or create us just to find pleasure. And yet so many people spend so much of their life seeking success and fame and wealth and pleasure. And yet God didn't create us for any of those things. The Bible teaches us that God created us for loving relationships. God made us first and foremost to love Him And then secondly, God made us to love others. That is the meaning of life. Now listen, here's why that's important. You will never be satisfied. You will never be content. You will never be happy. You will never find joy apart from the reason God made you. And God made you first and foremost to love Him and to have a relationship with Him. And then out of the overflow of our relationship with Him, God made us to love others. God made us to love Him. God made us to love others. That's why John opens this text in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 7 with that phrase, Beloved, let us love one another. Now, it's important to note in the Greek text that that's not just a suggestion. He didn't say, hey, beloved, let us think about loving one another. No, it's actually, it's written in such a way that it's an imperative, it's a command statement, meaning that God's design for you and I is to first and foremost love Him, and then out of the overflow of a love relationship with Him, we are to love others. That's the way God designed us. Let me say it another way. Life is all about relationship. You know, I've never seen anybody get to the end of their life. And unfortunately, as a pastor, you, you wind up at a lot of deathbeds. You wind up in situations where people are at the end. I've never heard anybody at the end talk about regrets when it comes to having more stuff, more possessions, more vacations, more fame, more popularity. But let me tell you what I have heard. I've heard a lot of people talk about relationships. Man, they talk about their relationship with God. And they talk about their relationships with people in their life. You know why that is? God hardwired us for relationships. That's why there are ten billion social network accounts active on the internet. You know why? God hardwired us. Hey, God made us. 
God created us. I don't care what you think science has taught you. The Word of God, the absolute truth says God made us. And science cannot discount the reality and the truth of what Scripture says. God made us. At the end of the day, whatever you believe about where we came from, it's faith. Because none of us were there. The real question is, what's your faith in? And we put our faith in the absolute truth of the Word of God, that it is the most documented source book of antiquity. And the Bible says God made us, and God hardwired us as human beings, first and foremost, to live in a relationship with Him, and secondly, out of our relationship with Him, to enjoy relationships with others. God made us to love. Here's the second reality. Our capacity to love is found in knowing God. Let me show it to you. Look look back at 1 John chapter 4. He says it first of all positively in verse 7. He says, Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But then he says it negatively in verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God. Why? For God is love. Here's what John is saying. My capacity to love other people, my capacity to love my wife, my capacity to love my children, my capacity to love my friends, my capacity to love my neighbors is found in my intimate Knowledge of God. Why is that true? Here's why it's true. Because God is love. God is love. Now, that doesn't mean, listen to me carefully. People twist that saying. The Bible doesn't say love is God. It says God is love. That doesn't mean that everything we call love is God. But it does mean that the real expression of love in us is God in us. You see, every human being is made in the image and likeness of God. So there is within the human design a certain capacity to love. All people, every person on the planet, lost, saved, it doesn't matter. We are made in the image and likeness of God. And and our capacity to love at all is found and rooted in the truth that we are made in the image of God. But what the Bible, what John is saying right here is that, 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 that I will never know God's love in me for others apart from a relationship with him. And it's this kind of love that he designed me to experience in all of my relationships. Yes, in the human design, we all have a certain capacity to love. But even that capacity to love is found in the fact that we're made in God's image and God is love. But this agape kind of love, this God love in us, that's what God hardwired us for. And I can only experience that kind of love in my relationships out of the overflow of a love relationship with Him. Let me show you, uh, listen to what F.F. Bruce said about this kind of love. Look at it on the screen. He said, the love which the New Testament commands involves a consuming passion for the well-being of others. And this love has as its wellspring God. Let me show it to you in the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 
13. Many people know 1 Corinthians 13. I want to read it to you out of the Amplified Bible. I love reading. If you've never looked at an Amplified Bible, I encourage you to do it. They, they kind of take the Greek text in the Amplified Bible, and they, they give you the... When the translators translate the Scripture from Greek, ultimately they have to make a decision about which particular word that they want to use in translation. Well, the Amplified Bible kind of gives you all the possibilities of the meaning and the intent of those Greek words. Listen to the way the Amplified Bible translates 1 Corinthians 13. Look at it on the screen. Love endures long and is patient and kind. Love never is envious nor boils over with jealousy. It's not boastful or vainglorious. It does not display itself haughtily. It is not conceited. Now, it's important as we read through these, you understand something. These are all in the Greek, in the present tense, meaning that they're, they're ongoing, ongoing, continuous action, meaning you could literally read it, love never, never, love is always, love is always patient, meaning there's never a moment when I'm not patient. I'm always patient. When we begin to understand what he's saying here, we recognize he's not describing a love that is within the human capacity left to ourselves, right? I mean, this is something that's a God kind of love. Look, let's go on. He says, it's not conceited, arrogant, or inflated with pride. It is not rude, unmannerly. It does not, remember, it never acts unbecomingly. Love, God's love in us, does not insist on its own rights or its own way. For it is not self-seeking, meaning that love never demands its own. He goes on to say, it is not touchy or fretful or resentful. It takes no account of the evil done to it. Let me say that another way. It doesn't keep score. It pays no attention to a suffered wrong. It does not rejoice at injustice and and unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. Love bears up under anything, and everything that comes is ready to believe the best of every person. Its hopes are fadeless. Under all circumstances. And it endures everything without weakening. Here's what that means. You never run out of it. You ever heard anybody say, well, I used to be in love with this person, but not anymore. You know what you're saying when you say that, right? You don't have agape. That may be your expression of love, but that's not God's love in you. Because His love... Endures everything. You say, what do you mean by everything? Well, everything. Love never fails. Never fades out. Or becomes obsolete. Or comes to an end. Man, when you read that, you realize this love that God's talking about... It's something bigger than we have hardwired into the human capacity. This is, this is beyond our ability to just have a little emotional feeling about somebody. 
You see, God made us for relationships, but not the kind of relationships we often see that are all about what's in it for me or all about my needs, my wants, my desires. He made us for a radical, loving relationship with others that can only be enjoyed out of the overflow of a love relationship with Him. Let me tell you what 1 Corinthians 13 is. It is a description of agape love. Here's what that means. As a friend, I'll never be the friend that I should be apart from a relationship with God and God through me loving my friend as only He can. I'll never love my wife as I should love my wife apart from an intimate love relationship with God, where God is loving through me with a capacity that is greater than anything I have left to myself. I'll never love my children. Listen, I think the greatest love we have as human beings is our love for our children. Our capacity to love our kids is great, but listen to me. Apart from an intimate love relationship with God and God loving through me as only He can, I will never love my children as I'm designed to love my children. You see, the key, the key to every other relationship in my life is my relationship with God. Now, therein is the problem with every human relationship you me tell you why I, 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 listen I'm about to do 30 seconds of counseling that can change your life all right let me tell you why you have problems in your relationships with others because you have problems in your relationship with God. Every issue I have in relationships with others can be traced right back to my intimate love relationship with God. And you see, here's the problem. Sin separates us from a relationship with God. Sin. Now now remember what we said. The key to every other relationship in my life, the key to my marriage, the key to my kids, the key to my friends, the key to my co-worker, every other relationship in my life is my love relationship with God. And sin separates me from a love relationship with God. Let me show it to you in the Bible. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2. Look at it on the screen. The writer Isaiah says, but your iniquities, your sins have made a separation between you and your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. God created human beings and he placed them in the Garden of Eden. And God created Adam and Eve and he put them there to live their life in fellowship with him. And out of the overflow of their love relationship with him, they would enjoy fellowship with each other. But you know what happened. You know the story, right? Sin entered into the picture. And sin separated humanity from a relationship with God. It's called spiritual death. 
Humanity died spiritually. We lost the ability in and of ourselves to have a relationship with God. And the Bible teaches that since Adam and Eve, every person that has been born on planet earth has been born into the condition that Adam and Eve found themselves in after they sinned. Dead to God. Meaning I'm separated from a love relationship with God. Now you know what that means, right? It means tragedy in all of my human relationships. Why? Because apart from a love relationship with God, I cannot enjoy the kind of love relationship with others that God made me for. Sin robbed humanity of the very reason why we were created. To love God and to love others. And sin, the reason it's such a big deal, the reason the Bible talks about it and points it out, and and the reasons preachers talk about it in friends pointed out in your life is because sin separated us from God and made it impossible for us to know him so it made it impossible for us to really enjoy relationships with others as God intended them to be Spiros Zodiates summed it up this way look at this on the screen in the New Testament we find man incapable of offering anything to placate God because he is a righteous God For him to accept sinful man, it was necessary for God, not man, to do something to deliver man from his sin. Listen to me. Therein is why we are celebrating this weekend. Let me tell you what Easter is is all about. Easter is about God doing for us what we could not do left to ourselves. Easter is about God restoring that which was lost because of sin. Because of sin, we lost the ability to have a relationship with God. So because of sin, we lost the ability to really have loving relationships with other people. But Easter is the story of God dealing with our sin and making it possible for us to know and experience His love. And that's the third reality, and I'm finished with this one. Look at it on the screen. God made a way for us to know and experience His love. Sin had robbed that from us, but God made a way. I want to read it to you again. Verses 9 and 10 of 1 John chapter 4. Look at it on the screen. By this is the love of God manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let me tell you three things John tells us here about God's love for us. Number one, God loved us willfully. In eternity past, God made a choice. It was not an emotional, warm, fuzzy. God, in His sovereignty, made a choice. And He chose 
to love us. God chose to manifest. That's what verse 9 says. God manifested His love toward us. You see, at a point in time, as an act of His divine will, God chose to once and for all openly display His love for humanity. God decided as an act of His sovereign will to send someone to say to you and to say to me that God loves us. And the one that He sent, the Bible says, is His only begotten. It means unique. It means one and only. It means there's nobody else like Him. God in His sovereign divine will sent His Son into the world to say to you and to me, God loves us. He loved us willfully. Number two, listen, God loved us sacrificially. The Bible tells us that He sent Him not just to be an example. He sent Him to be the propitiation for our sin. That's a big, fancy Bible word. Propitiation. What does that mean? was a lot of debate about exactly how to define it, but let me give you a word that I think captures it. Satisfaction. God sent His Son. You see, God is holy. If you believe that, say amen. Hey, God is holy. We don't like to talk about the holiness of God, but God is holy. Here's what the holiness of God demands. The holiness of God demands that God cannot be in fellowship with sin. God cannot have fellowship with sinful human beings. The holiness of God demanded that the sin had to be dealt with. But the love of God demanded That he take our sin himself and deal with it on our behalf. In Jesus Christ, God satisfied the demand of his holiness. And God satisfied the demand of his love. And on the cross of Jesus Christ, we see intertwined for all of the world to see the holiness of God and the love of God manifested for all the world. I want to give it to you in one verse of Scripture. It's one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21. Look at it on the screen. Read it out loud with me. He made him who knew no sin. To be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. 
In my sin, I was separated from a relationship with God. I was hopeless. I was helpless. There was nothing I could do to ever earn it. And because of my sin, being cut off from a relationship with God, I could not enjoy fellowship with other people the way God hardwired me to enjoy it. But God in His sovereignty and in His love sent His Son, Jesus Christ. And the Bible says, on the cross, Him who knew no sin literally became sin for us. And on the cross of Jesus Christ, God poured out the very wrath of God, the holiness of God against sin on Jesus. And Jesus Christ died for our sin. But He did not stay dead. On Easter Sunday morning... The Bible says God raised him from the dead. Why? Because the demand of God was satisfied. And now, because he loved us sacrificially, you and I can be given by grace a relationship with God and then experience relationships as God designed us to. Third aspect of his love, and I'm... Finish. God loved us when we were unlovable. Listen to what he said. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. Paul said it this way in Romans, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners Christ died for us now there's one more important phrase in 1 John I want you to see and we didn't read it tonight but it's down in verse 16 listen to what John says we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. So here's the real question of Easter. Have you? Have you come to know? And have you believed? Have you put your faith and trust in what Jesus Christ did on the cross. These words know and believed are interesting because they're, they're not just past action. There's something that happened in the past, but it has ongoing results in my life today, meaning that I came to a place in my life when I understood, I came to know God's love for me, and I believed, I wrapped my heart around the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that has produced something ongoing in my life. Let me tell you what it's produced. A relationship with God. Have you ever come to know and believed in the gospel? I want you to bow your head right where you are tonight. And I want to ask you a question. Have you come to know and believed the love of God for you. 
I'm not asking today if you've ever been to a church service. I'm not asking today if you've ever been baptized. I'm not asking any of those questions. I'm asking, have you come to know and believe? Have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? If you're here tonight, listen, you will never know relationships as God intended for you to know apart from a love relationship with Him. It'll never happen. God made you to love Him and to love others. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, but you are ready to give your life to Him. In the quiet of this moment, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Now, it's not prayer that saves somebody. It's faith in the gospel that brings salvation. But you can express your faith in God by simply praying with me. If you desire a relationship with God today, you just pray with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I know that I've sinned. I know that you died for my sin. I know that you rose again from the dead. And today, I believe in you. Today, I give my life to you. I ask you to come into my life to forgive me of my sin and to be my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. If you just prayed with me and you ask Christ to come into your life for the very first time, with nobody looking around right now but me, I'm about to pray for all of these, but if you did that tonight for the very first time, would you just slip your hand up as a testimony to God and then put it back down? Thank you. God bless you. Thank you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you. Somebody else, thank you. Thank you. Somebody else, God bless you, young man. Thank you. Somebody else, God bless you, sir. God bless you. Listen, if you just prayed to receive Jesus Christ today with me, you just began a relationship with God, and that is step number one to enjoying life as God intended it to be. And I want everybody in the building to look this way. In just a moment, I'm going to pray for you. I want everybody to look this way real quick. When you came in, there was a card like this in your seat. I want everybody in the building to grab this card for a moment. On one end of it, there's a little piece you can tear off. And I'm asking everybody here today to do this, all right? Everybody. I'm asking you to take this card and tear it off. If you're a a person, you come to Hope every weekend. I want you to take this card. You're, you're filling out this card as an encouragement to the person sitting on your row that just prayed to receive Christ with you. I want you to fill out that top section that gives us some contact information, your name and street address, your phone number and your age and email, all that. Give us that information. And then right in the middle is a little thing that says spiritual steps. I want you to look at that with me for just a second. The first box says, today I began a relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you today, and you prayed with me just a moment ago, and you've given your life to Jesus Christ for the very first time, 
Here's what I'm asking you to do. I want you to check that top box. We're going to get you some information. We're going to follow up with you to help you on this journey that you've begun in a relationship with God. The second one says, I already have a relationship with Jesus. Maybe that's you. You're somebody who comes here all the time. You have a relationship with Christ. You just check that second box, and we're going to use your information to help (laughs) clean up our database, make sure we have correct email addresses and all that kind of stuff. So fill that out. Check that one. The third one says, I want to be baptized as a symbol of my relationship with Jesus. We've had over 40 people that have come to Christ in the last three weekends. We've had a number of people that have come to Christ in our service tonight. Next weekend, we're going to be baptizing as a, te- baptizing as a testimony of a relationship that exists in our life. If you would like us to talk to you this week about being baptized, either next weekend or in the weeks to come, you just check that third box. It's a very important next step once you've given your life to Christ to follow Him in baptism. Then the last one says, at this time, I'm not interested in a relationship with Jesus. If that's you, if you'll just be honest and check that box, I'll make you a promise. We won't call you. We won't add you to our database. We're not going to start sending you stuff in the mail. I promise. All we'll do is pray for you. That's it. That's it. We're going to take your card, and we're just going to pray for you. That's it. Now, I want to ask you to do one more thing. If you're here tonight and you are not connected in a small group, at Hope we believe strongly that we're to live out our relationship with God in fellowship with other believers, and the way we do that is in small groups. If you're not connected in a small group and you would like to be, underneath those spiritual steps, you just write the word small groups or just groups, and we'll get in touch with you about helping you get connected in a small group. Now, before I pray, like I said, I was going to, I want to put one more statement up on the screen. And it's the foundation for what we're going to be looking at for the next five weekends. Here's the statement. My capacity for loving others is born out of my love relationship with God. Over the next few weekends, we're going to talk about the husband-wife relationship. We're going to talk about the parent-child relationship. We're going to talk about specifically addressing the issue of singles and where they're living. We're going to talk about the relationships that exist between friends. But this is the foundation. My capacity for loving others is born out of my love relationship with God. So we invite you to come back and join us as we continue this series next weekend. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for these tonight that have given their life to you. Lord, I pray for them. I pray that you'd give them the boldness right now to simply check that box on that card. And Lord, I pray that you would, God, as we follow up with them, Lord, that they would begin to enjoy their relationship with you. And God, I pray that you would begin even today to transform their relationships with others. We bless you. We honor you. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.